I'm Father Michael Dank, and I'm here with Father Bob McCreary, a Capuchin priest of the Franciscan Order, and I'm so blessed to be with Father Bob. I've known him for years. He was my master's director in the seminary for my thesis, so that was a wonderful time that I got to spend with him. But what I've always loved about Father Bob McCreary is his love for the Lord and especially his, his, his deep passion for prayer. He's one of the few people that I can just talk to about prayer and get excited about um, actually sharing these wonderful, deep experiences of God. So I'm here with Father Bob now, and I just am looking forward to you sharing with all of our listeners your journey of prayer. So okay, welcome, Father Bob. Father Michael. So for those that are listening, they might not even know what a Capuchin priest is. Could you just say a little bit about that? The Capuchins are uh, a reform of the Franciscan order, and uh, we are a community that is very strongly emphasizes fraternity among ourselves and fraternity to the people in the world. And we are strongly uh, contemplative in our prayer life, that we are faithful to uh, pray, contemplative prayer uh, and trying to be prayerful brothers. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> so tell us where you're from and maybe what your first experiences or memories are of mm -hmm. prayer or encountering God. Yes. I am from a small town outside of Pittsburgh, 30 miles north of Pittsburgh, where the High River turns south. If you could look on the map, you'd see it. My, my father and my mother were very devout Catholics, and we were taught to pray from early on. My most striking uh, uh, memory, which continually comes back to me, is when my father, a doctor, was out uh, taking care of people because they did house calls in those days, and uh, it was storming. <clears throat> my mother uh, lit a candle in front of the image of our Blessed Mother, and all us little children gathered around to pray mm -hmm. for my dad's safety as he was taking care of somebody. And so that's my my most striking image. I, I would have been maybe four years old at that time. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> my father uh, later became uh, sick with a, a, an infection. They couldn't stop. They didn't have penicillin yet. And so our family started to go to daily mass when I was in uh, fifth grade. Mm. So we went to daily mass every day and prayed for my dad. And uh, eventually they founded penicillin after three years of rather terrible illness that carried him and then uh, penicillin cured my dad. So that was very, which actually was very interesting for me because later on when my dad was actually dying, I was called to come from Washington DC to Pittsburgh. And I remember, uh, leaning over my dad's bed. <clears throat> my mother said to me, you should kiss your father, which embarrassed me. I should have done that without her telling me to do that. Then I anointed him and I prayed over him that, that the Lord would not keep him alive because of our family, because he had been a wonderful father, but keep him alive because he was such a witness to pro-life as a doctor. Mm. And actually, he was the doctors gave him up for dead, but he was healed uh, after the the prayer of the church in the anointing and lived for I think fifteen or twenty more years. 
So those are those are experiences that that were very powerful for me. Mm-hmm. I had an uncle, a priest, and a, and a, a aunt, a nun, and they had gigantic influence on both joyful life and uh, yet a devout life. So I was lear- learned to be a prayerful guy. And then for years I served mass in the morning as a little boy and we lived one block away from the church and I used to run down past the scary trees that cast shadows <laughs> to get to church to meet the Lord and receive Holy Communion. So my father also was such an example of prayer that one time he went to communion. I didn't, re- I didn't go to communion yet, so I would have been about five. Mm-hmm. And when he came back from communion, he knelt down with his head in his hands. And I thought, as a little boy, I said, he believes. Mm-hmm. And then my dad would always take us on um, the Holy Thursday to three churches and then three relatives. And I always wondered why I stood beside this glass-blowing great uncle of mine every Thursday, and I got—I was just a little boy looking up at this gigantically big man, and I said, "What the heck am I doing here?" And later on, I understood. My dad taught me: if you receive the Lord, you need to receive the people mm. of who are troubled or difficult. So, and that was the spirit of my mom and dad. They helped all kinds of people. I, I worked in a fam I worked in a in a factory where my grandfather was the uh, vice president and and I did a teenager at those times and all kinds of people came to me in the factory to tell me how my mom and dad had helped them and I so edified by them and things they did I did not know. But it was fit the Eucharistic understanding that we had. If we mm-hmm. pray the Eucharist, we go to help people. So that was my background. And then I went to a Catholic high school, Benedictine High School, St. Vincent and Latrobe, oh, okay. where we were daily mass and uh, prayed the rosary. And uh, I was a high school football player and had the opportunity to play college football. But I decided I should go and and study for the priesthood, which mm-hmm. I did, and I entered the Capuchin order. And one of the reasons I entered the Capuchin order was because uh, the Capuchins were right, right the next town over from where I grew up. They had a small parish there that they took care of, but uh, the, the 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 friars there took my dad to poor people's houses, so that. That people would not be overlooked for their medical needs that they had. So that also impacted me to want to join an order that serves poor people, which is one mm. of the charisms that we try to do ourselves. And from there, I went to the seminary, and it was a beautiful seminary. When you went in, I always like to ask people, did you? How did you know the call? Did you have a moment where you felt God? Well, I felt attracted to be like my uncle, who was a priest. And our, because my uncle was such a joyful priest, it, it really was. And our house was full of priests and nuns. I mean, my aunt would come and, 
In fact, my aunt would come with a partner. In fact, at my ordination, I think she brought the prettiest Dominican in the whole world to my ordination. I told my aunt, I said, don't bring her again. <laughs> so, but anyhow, I, I was very influenced by aunt and uncle, my mom and dad's mm -hmm. prayerfulness and yeah. Then in the Capuchins, we were, we'd always spend an hour and that was required in our, in our constitutions that we would spend an hour or even more if we had time to do that every day. So was, when would you say you kind of took on your own in terms of your prayer life or your spiritual life? So as a child, I think you're very much formed by your parents, but then right. at some point it becomes you. Well, I had an experience for that when I was at the seminary and I was not completely happy as I first went to the seminary. And I uh, knelt down at my desk. I would have been 18 years old now and I knelt down at my desk and I said, you better get a heck of a lot more real if you want me to hang around here. Mm -hmm. So that, that was the prayer uh, that really struck me. And then I read The Life of Therese of Lisieux and a book, Thomas Merton, uh, on his seminary days. And I remember making a book report on that to the class. We all did a book and I just, uh, Sign of Jonas is the name of his book, which is his early seminary days. And I said, I that answer to my prayer, become, I could see for Merton, and for Therese, God was very real. Mm. And so I passed over to that. God is very real. And I became really, I didn't just pray because I was told to pray or received it from my parents, but it was mine now. Yeah, yeah so um, experiencing God for real, Carl Reiner says that in the days ahead, we will, we will all either become mystics or despair mm -hmm. and when he says he, he defines the word mystic as one who experiences God for real yeah and so that's really I think my passion and desire is to help people experience that so you pray that you said God you better become real for me mm -hmm. and then tell me about that process of him becoming real it was through the reading of the lives of the saints yes it was really I, I became all my life, I've read. I always read a life of a saint or a holy person, and it's in reading them that they. I say, I wish I had that also. Mm. If and I, I developed a motto, which was, if it can happen to one, it can happen to two. Mm. And so, what I meant by that is that the awakening of my own heart for the Lord was imaged by uh, people who went ahead of me and who found the Lord to be very real. I mean, if you read uh, Therese's life, she's just remarkably alive in that, in that you know, with wisdom and grace. Mm -hmm. So uh, also, St. Francis, uh, we studied Francis and, and we, we were taught how to pray like Francis would pray, that we would especially love to pray on Christ mm. and put our emphasis on Christ. Mm -hmm. and, and so that has been really helpful for me. And um, when I made final vows, I was maybe 21 at that, I made perpetual vows. And I spent three hours praying before a crucifix and, uh, and tried to give myself entirely to the Lord. 
and uh, and that became sort of a pattern for me praying before the crucifix. Uh, it wasn't that wasn't the San Damiano crucifix that Francis prayed in front of, but since mm -hmm. then it's been San Damiano crucifix. I pray before that crucifix, and uh, <clears throat> actually. Um, Praying before the crucifix for Francis was that Francis understood how graciously God looked at him from the cross, not condemning. Francis was a sinner, and he was he didn't feel condemned by the Lord, but he felt that he was blessed by the Lord with kindness, and that Francis, therefore, he says, when I was in sin, it was too bitter a thing for me even to see lepers, but the Lord led me amongst them. And what before was bitter was turned to sweetness of body and soul. Mm. And that that's the only biographical sentence Francis ever wrote. He wrote many beautiful prayers and many beautiful letters, but that's the one sentence we have where he describes his life. And he was made happy in contemplating the gracious Christ and then moving to contemplate his brothers or mm -hmm. sisters in need. They're connected very yeah, much. Yeah. He's sent. It's given, like he was, it's like Francis prayed in front of the cross because Christ was given. And then this is the language of John Paul II. And then what, what Francis would do is give himself to, as Christ gave himself to him, he gave himself to the people hmm. of God who needed him. And his love was, was uh, <clears throat> remarkably universal. I mean, he, he went to see even the Muslims who, uh, the he did not love the Crusades, he hated the Crusades, and he went, he went to Egypt and, and uh, to, when a terrible battle happened where the Christians killed many, many Muslims, and he was very uh, upset by that, mm -hmm. and he, he gave himself even to the Muslim, he went and talked to the, the main Muslim chief, and, and he showed love to the Pope when no one did, or to priests who were in sin. So. so as you went through your time of formation in the Capuchins, or even as you became a, a, a young priest, were there moments where God became real to you in your prayer life? Yes, I mean, many times. I mean, for me, uh, that the glance down from the cross of Christ crucified is not just an image for me when I pray in front of the crucifix, but it's because I know his look at, for Francis is the same look I received, the gracious look of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've, I've had many experiences of that uh, and the result of it, you know, the gracious, the gracious look of Christ that I, that I want to, have a gracious look. I have been in a mission in, in, in over by Australia in our mission in Papua New Guinea and I have met all kinds of people all, all, all over the world that I've been to that I want to show the gracious look of Christ to. But I keep coming back. <clears throat> I wrote a paper one time on, on uh, the Lord and it is five characteristics of God's love, and they it's sort of people ask me if I could write something about how I understand God, and uh, this is based on scripture. But the it's, he's first love, 
it's not I don't love him first he loves me first mm. and this is love not that we love God but he loves us and gives himself gives the son in reparation for our sins that's from John's epistle so first love fresh love Carl Rahner first thing he ever wrote as a young seminarian was in a parish bulletin where he talked about Christmas as showing how perpetually young God's love and how it's reborn again. So first love, fresh love, forgiving love, the prodigal son, uh, forever love, so much in scripture on forever. And the last one is fierce love that he can ask difficult things mm -hmm. of us and saints receive that too. So what's the affective experience? What did it feel what does it feel like to have Christ look at you? I I I feel that's that's a good question and, and I, I feel that 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 in my morning meditation that I do the hour that I spend every every morning is basically on God's love for me, and um, I feel that uh, that I receive His His gracious love in such a way that I want to give Him everything. So. I have a motto that I wrote on my 25th year as a priest. Now this year I'm 60 years a priest, so I'm no, no spring chicken. Uh, but the motto I wrote was, Abba, Father, everyone, everything, everywhere. Everyone's chastity, everywhere's obedience, and everyone, everything is poverty. So I want to give myself to the Lord. I mean, I think that what comes out of being convinced that somebody really loves you, that you want to give yourself to the Lord. And the Lord uh, wants, wants us to give ourselves to the Lord, to give him, so it's, it's adoration. Love leads to adoration. Adoration, it leads to everything, everyone, everywhere. Mm -hmm. So by instinct every morning is to make my prayer more real for the Lord, that I want to love my brothers more fervently. I want whatever happens to me for me to accept it. That's all that comes from that. Mm -hmm. And if I have a moment of uh, there, I think I'm, I'm thinking out loud now, but I, three, there are three things that happen, it seems to me that if I receive the Lord's love, then I will feel something in my, in my heart that wants to give everything. Secondly, I will feel a presence that is more real than any moment with another person. Real, it's really presence. And I feel that there is like a song in my heart. Augustine, actually, when he says, what is it that I do when I love my God? And I would, I, I follow that pretty much. It goes like this. There's five, five things that Augustine said, when I love my God, it's a certain embrace. It's a certain melody. 
it's a certain beauty. It's a certain, I always said touch, aroma. It's another aroma. So he takes the five senses. Mm. And you know, each of the five senses represents the experience of the Lord. Mm. When I was young and I was a novice, we were told that the Holy Spirit really dwells in our hearts. And we had a practice of uh, adoring the Blessed Sacrament by kissing the floor. But then I thought, well, if the Holy Spirit's in my heart, then I need to kiss the floor before the Holy Spirit, which I did after working in a garden. I came in and took a shower, deliberately kissed the floor in my room. And I do that every morning now. I kiss the floor as the adoration of the Blessed Holy, Eucharist, Holy Spirit. In you. In me. Mm. So it's all sort of intertwined. But those are those are part part of what what I think we do. And now, the other the other point I, I tried to make more than the, the other three points I'll add a fourth is, you just become more prayerful during the day. You just if you have a moment that's quiet, you just fall into the moment, and adore the Lord. Or adoration's really the authentic prayer i think mm -hmm. as you give everything you're not no defenses you know and at the same time there is an ever-deepening act of contrition that goes on so uh, the adoration takes a form of contrition it's called compunction that i'm punctured by the lord's mercy mm. and celebrating his mercy and uh, I've worked a lot with women who've had abortions, and and I uh, came to know how how wonderful the prodigal son is when a prodigal son comes back and the father embraces the prodigal son. Uh, I asked a friend of mine who had had an abortion, what what should I say when I preach at the shrine of the Immaculate Conception and. And she said, well, what, what did the son hear when the father embraced him? And she says, what the, what the son heard was music in the heart of God. Mm. And so when we confess our sins, we're singing a song into the heart of God. Mm. Our sins. Mm -hmm. But they're not sins committed, they're sins confessed. Mm -hmm. And that melody is in the father's mercy to me but it's also my, my melody to him mm. and rejoicing in the mercy of God. That, that is a really important part of the way I look at things. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, we all struggle probably with going to God in our sin. I think people feel like they have to get rid of their sin first before they can go yeah. to God. You know, and, and the reality is that we need to bring everything that we are. Yeah, I feel that a lot of times before... Um, exposition before adoration that he's so open that it brings about just an openness sure. in me as well yeah that's mm -hmm. right so we talk about god personally and you you've talked about this in terms of christ but uh in terms of personally relating to god I, one of the things i love helping people see is is that prayer is not just about saying prayers but actually being in relation with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Could you talk a little bit about your experience of the persons of the Trinity? Well, yes, yes. Uh, John Paul II had written something very, very beautiful, which is uh, that um, we are made in, in the image of the Blessed Trinity. And the Blessed Trinity is our persons giving themselves to the other. The Father gives himself to the Son. Uh, Van Balthazar says, the Father gave himself to the Son so profoundly that were he not God, he would have disappeared because he gave the Son everything mm. that he had. And then the Father and the Son in their mutual love form the Holy Spirit. It's given. They're given. And John Paul talks about a person is somebody given. And so uh, in, in our communion with, with God, we are called to make communion with the people of God. So when we enter into communion with them, we are entering into this sharing of gracious love and, and, and mercy and grace and so on. So uh, I, 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 I love John Paul's understanding that, that I am a pers as a person in, in the image of the Trinity, that I as a person need to give myself too. And that's where you have the intrinsic receiving myself as a gift and giving myself as a gift. You see the interrelationship between contemplation and, and, and ministry of, mm -hmm. of, of mm -hmm. self-giving. I want to give myself and, and I want to give myself in such a way that I am an image of the father giving myself. So I have a father or mother image and then I have the image of the son and the Holy Spirit is the, the man anointed by uh, the, the Holy Spirit. So I, they're all they all kind of fit together that way. It seems to me. What's the father like or mother? The father is more. Uh, I mean, Abba uh, is Jesus' word. So Jesus defined. Uh, I mean, he said father, but he also he, when he said father, he he used the word Abba, which is not just father. It is. Dear, gracious, loving Father. Mm -hmm. And Christ lived in that gracious relationship even unto the cross that he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Father, forgive them. Father, take this cup away from me. It's always super gracious Father. And I, I had a father that really was a beautiful father. So I'm blessed, and I, I, I think my responsibility is to be as a father to people mm -hmm. who don't have a father like that. Mm -hmm. And that's the, one of the beauties of the priesthood and religious life in different ways, that Francis also had a terrible father who disowned him and spit on him, and yet he said, I have a father in heaven. And, uh, and I think a father is someone and, and God's, God as Father is someone who always is, has blessings for us. Mm -hmm. Even if we make mistakes, He has blessings for us and uh, forgives us even the most worst sins. A little flower, St. Therese, she says, if I committed every sin in the world, I still would have recourse to His mercy for me. She understood that, how really beautiful that is. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, St. Therese the end of her life had such pain with tuberculosis that she was um, uh, felt 
some suicidal uh, feelings, apparently, because she asked for all metals to be removed from her room. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and Therese is so beautiful because she had a tremendously close relationship with her father. <clears throat> and she took that over to God the Father. Yeah, and yeah. she's a child and she says, <clears throat> rich people have elevators, but I have a father who carries me up the stairs. And that's that's notion of the father is such an important part of our life. I know when we did my master's thesis, it was on Christology and the mystics, and you continued to focus me on the humanity of Christ. So in, in, in terms of prayer, how does, how does that impact your prayer? How do you pray with and to Jesus? Well, I, that's, such a, that's a good question because I, if I was thinking of it recently that if I pray to the Father, it's mm. because I'm in Christ. Right. Only because I'm in Christ can I call on my Father. And if I, if I call him a father, God called the father, it's because the Holy Spirit turns me in my uh, return to God, yeah. God the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and I, I, I feel that uh, if I, in my morning, I spend a long time on God the Father every day. And um, I like my first half hour of silence would be on God the Father and then but it doesn't make any difference because the Trinity is one being and one one mm -hmm. beloved. So if I sometimes I feel I neglect the Holy Spirit, but I have to stop thinking that because if I love Christ, I mean, I'm touching us. This it's by the Spirit I do that. <clears throat> but I think that uh, in our Christian life, Christ has a certain priority because of the incarnation. He's in, incarnate for us, and he is, uh, you know, when when Christ shows. Uh, graciousness to Peter or Christ shows forgiveness of a thief on the cross it's because Christ is coming to us coming toward us mm -hmm. knocking as on a door and if we open the door he will come and sup with us that's from book of revelations and I also uh, uh, also there's a text in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 16 and following which is a big impact on my life which is the transfiguration and peter in the first epistle second epistle of peter he's talking about the transfiguration we were with him on the mountain and we heard it said this is my beloved son so it's the mm -hmm. trinity working in 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 in, 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 in and so the beloved son, the, this is beloved son, and then St. Peter goes on to say, keep this prophetic word, you are my beloved son, as you would a lamp shining in the dark, until the first streaks of dawn appear and the morning star rises in your heart. So he's inviting us to enter into Christ so that we go deeply in it. Keep your eye fixed on the prophetic word. I am also a beloved son, and I hang on to that word mm. as I would a lamp shining in the dark against all my darkness until the first streaks of dawn appear, it rises like the sun in the morning. 
and the morning star is Christ mm. shines in your heart. It's just a gorgeous mm, text. That's, a, that's my main text of my prayer these days. Yeah. For a couple of years. <clears throat> well, when you talk about these saints that you said, if it could happen to them, it could happen to me yeah. too. For our listeners too, I just love to share experiences that you may have had. Are there any like mystical experiences or profound experiences that you've had that might stir our listeners to think, hmm, that happened to him. Maybe it could happen to me too. That's right. Yes. Well, I, I don't know why, whether I call them mystical spirits, but by experiences, like by three hours before I, I offered myself to the Lord before my vows, definitely I felt captured by the Lord. In mm. Like St. Francis, St. Augustus said, when I love my Lord, what do I do? It's a certain embrace. I felt embraced by Christ. I one time experienced a, a saint come to me, a saintly Jesuit of all, of all people, for God's sake, <laughs> for a Franciscan. This Jesuit came, and I felt I had read his life, I knew him, and he embraced me during Mass. And I would say Mass at the Carmelite Monastery, and I started when he said, you did a good thing by making a general confession of your life, and then I burst into tears and I wept for the rest of the Mass. It was mm. sort of hopeless, I was sort of hopeless, but it was a real touch of grace. And uh, and I think I think that uh, those graces I, I count on, that, mm -hmm. uh, that I, I, want, I want them to help me be, give myself away. They're not for my aggrandizement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not for me. You know, I feel that uh, whether I have a very powerful prayer or, or the weakest possible prayer on the globe, they're both precious to God. Mm -hmm. And I've learned by, by pride sometimes in, in proclaiming how good my prayer was that I should never do that because I don't know. Maybe the driest prayer in the world is the best one for the Lord. So, so talk I'm, a little yeah. bit more about that experience of praying before the cross and what that felt like to be embraced by God. Well, it, it's, as, as Augustine says, it, it, you know, it's an analogy uh, that how do you explain something that's unexplainable? You you reach for human mm -hmm. human images, and so. Uh, if, if I felt embraced by the Lord, which I have a number of times, it, it just feels like an embrace, like mm -hmm. somebody's embracing me, like my, my, my heart is quiet because I'm in communion. And it's, it's something of the overflowing communion that is God's gift of love to me. Mm -hmm. and so I think I've, by the mercy of Christ, I've had some experiences that. I've also had experiences of, uh, he says, it's a certain melody, it's like a song, like the woman who had the abortion uh, said that the prodigal son received music mm -hmm. from the father and gave music to the father. So sometimes it's, it's music mm -hmm. and I quietly listen to the music of the Lord. I just think we don't we don't realize how the Lord comes to us. He comes to us in a way the only way we can understand. 
I'm also very devoted to images. Uh, for example, I have uh, here a little book that I've made of pictures, but all these pictures are pictures of our Blessed Mother. And so I, when I pray, sometimes I just leaf through this book of pictures I've developed over the years or, or that I've had over the years. So that, that's sometimes when my head can't think anymore, I pray mm -hmm. over these pictures. And for example, in this particular booklet that I, that I have, I have some very, very important pictures of my past, but I have Our Lady of China, Our Lady of Korea, and Our Lady of Vietnam in here. And I have a lady of, of uh, Poland, Germany, United States, all the pictures of Mary. So when I can't pray very well, can't get my head to think, I, I, I have pictures, I have picture books I make. Mm -hmm. And what's that, what is your relationship like with Mary? Well, I've been consecrated to Our Lady ever since I was a young boy in, in high school. And I, I hardly ever pray without Our Lady. Mm. I mean, I, I, I like to say something that would be maybe, that would be very helpful for people. I hardly ever pray by myself. I always have a partner. Maybe it's our Blessed Mother or St. Joseph or Therese or Francis. I ask them to come with me. And I ask them to pray my prayers for me and pray with me. Mm -hmm. So it's a communion of saints. And, and, and the liturgy says, with all the angels and saints, we say, holy, holy, holy. Well, that's not the only time we should do that. Mm -hmm. So we really should have partners in prayer all the time, especially since our prayers are so rinky-dink and uh, the saints have already achieved the place where their prayers are working always and without any vanity or selfishness like I have. Mm -hmm. So now you imagine you're 60 years a priest, and I know you do a lot of spiritual direction. Mm -hmm. um, what encouragement, or what would you say to somebody that's listening to this and hasn't had an experience of God that they can perceive and would like to have yeah. that? I think you start with the faith of the church, and the faith of the church is Abba, that, you, that we have a Father who is very gracious and very dear to us, and then Christ crucified, who's incarnate graciousness, and the Holy Spirit, who's just loved outpoured. And I really feel that we need to, uh, more than anything, have an image, if we can, with the help maybe of a spiritual director or a spiritual person, help people realize how gracious and loving God is in the teaching of the church. Mm -hmm. And even in the midst of scandal or difficulties, um, the Lord is still beautiful. And, uh, and I, I know that some people have said, how can you still be a Catholic? Well, mm -hmm. church continually makes saints. Mm -hmm. And I, I see them all over the place. I see very saintly people. So I feel that, I feel that uh, really trying to have that faith, that, 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 that paper I wrote, that God is first love, fresh love, forever love, forgiving love, fierce love, that's what I really believe, and, and I believe that in the morning. I, I, when I take my extended period to pray, we have to, we are asked to spend an hour 
in quiet every morning. I mean, I know not everybody can do that, mm -hmm. but everybody can find some time to do things they like, and I think this is something they should like, and they should spend 15 or 20 or and then gradually up to half an hour. Uh, and they, I, I, want, I want to be uh, very respectful of lay people. But lay people don't realize, and maybe many clergy don't realize, that we have a hermitage at hand, and the hermitage is our car. Mm. We're by ourselves, we don't need the radio on, and we can pray. And so I have rosary beads and all kinds of helps in the car. If I take a long trip, I write down the names of people that I want to pray for. And, but it's the car is a hermitage. Mm -hmm. And it's everybody today who's of age has a car, almost everybody. I find a lot of people say that, that they, they find time, they pray in their car. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting, that's a beautiful image of hermitage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Is there any last words of um, wisdom? That you no, care Father to share? Michael, I'm very happy to talk to you since I haven't seen you for a while. I'm very <laughs> pleased that you're engaged in helping people pray. Thank you so God much. God bless you. How yeah. about a final blessing from you? Yeah. May the Lord, this is St. Francis' blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you, turn his face to you and have mercy, show to his countenance and give to his peace in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God, God bless, bless you all. Yeah.